This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock when Edward Hayden takes over the reins and throughout the afternoon, KCLR will have lots of sports coverage as well, so do stay with KCLR. Thanks to John Walsh for the last two hours of The Breakfast Show. Now, while the sun is out and it's looking good for a lovely August weekend, it's been a tough 24 hours in Ireland's battle against the COVID-19 virus with the news that Offaly, Leash and Kildare are going back into a two-week lockdown and that's going to be very tough on businesses and individuals, individuals first and foremost. I know we've got many listeners in these counties, particularly in our near neighbouring counties of Leash and Kildare. So if you're listening to us in Leash or Kildare and you're feeling nervous and uncertain about what lies ahead, you should know that everyone here in KCLR and all our listeners are sending you our best wishes and support because during the week Ireland buried John Hume and as the Taoiseach said last night when announcing that lockdown solidarity is strength but moving on this morning on the programme we've got lots of local business people who are on the front line of business keeping it there and keeping employment going Robert Moss of the Little Mill in Kells will talk to us about how demand for baking has seen a surge in demand for their flour uh, since the advent of COVID-19. Cliff Reid of Ireland Boat Trips in Kilkenny and Carla will talk to us about his fledgling business and how he's adapting to the new reality of COVID-impacted tourism. Denise O'Connell will talk about her new business, My Skin Integrity, which is aimed to help people living with the challenges posed by cancer. And you've been hearing all about oranges this week on the breakfast programme on KCLR. Well, we'll be talking to the managing director of Carlos Sunshine Juices, who are the largest producer of freshly squeezed oranges, about the highs and lows of his business. And indeed about maybe some of the factors leading to uh, where oranges are at and I'm sure John Walsh will be listening in but first I'm joined on the line to kick off the programme by Olga Barry Director of Kilkenny Arts Festival Olga, in normal times I think Kilkenny Arts Festival in its uh, normal uh, phase as we would put it would be kicking off as it's done every year since 1974 last night but it's different this year very different this year, John, and good morning to you and everyone listening. Uh, and uh, echo your word, solidarity to people in Kilcare and Leach and Offaly. It's a really tough, tough thing to be facing into for a second time. And I suppose it's, it's a way of make, reminding us all of how careful we have to be. Um, so, yeah, ordinarily we were even talking about this yesterday in our office about how everything feels... Uh, like your instincts, you know, about selling and communicating large gatherings suddenly, you know, doesn't feel like it's a different gesture this year that, that we're doing. And I guess for Kilkenny Arts Festival, I was very conscious of the legacy of the festival and the longevity of the festival and what uh, what our responsibilities are to the city and for the, for the festival to survive into 2021. Mm. And more than anything, we wanted to play a part in terms of Kilkenny saying that it can respond safely, uh, that Kilkenny can adapt, um, and also to position ourselves well for next year. Uh, so in reality, this year is not the big bombastic of scale 
get 50,000 people into the city um, uh, movement that we normally would be. Instead, it is about finding the pathways because if we're really honest with ourselves, what, we, what we're doing now uh, across life, across business, across culture may be with us for a long time and we have to learn uh, to do those things in a particular way and then interrogate how we sustain that um, for as long as this goes on. Yeah, yeah, an entirely different thing. Yeah, and, um, you know, I mentioned that quote from the Taoiseach, um, from John Hume, indeed. Um, You know, we're very much in survival mode at the moment, businesses and individuals, where you're hunkering down. But it's very important that there's a sense of solidarity and a sense of communion. Art and culture and concerts and so on have have been a shared experience and have, have led to a sense of identity and a sense of shared experience. And that has to adapt new ways. You're doing it with Kilkenny Arts Fest. X and a quite impressive program of stuff you're doing but it's different this year. That's exactly it so uh, it was only when we sort of look back at all the things we could do and things that we felt would be meaningful that we've realised that we sort of have sort of uh, ticked a lot of our regular boxes in so far as things that we're doing between what we're doing online and in in, in real life um, as somebody said to me so these are things for very small audience capacities. Um, you know, individuals going into a room with a musician, you know, distance, safely, sanitised, all of that, spending 20 minutes in the room. But what is, in terms of the solidarity across the sector, across the country and here locally, it, ha- it is incredibly impressive to see. I mean, the arts has always sort of, in Ireland, not been particularly well supported, even though what it yields back to the national economy is actually enormous. It's even direct taxation, and we know it on our own festival, typical model because of, you know, what investment we get from the state is turned into something much larger, the impact on local businesses and so on. So that that message has always been sort of a little difficult to communicate, um, but now I think because we know that people relied on uh, box sets, on books, on movies, on music so much uh, during lockdown uh, that I think... Uh, Maureen Kennelly even said this the other day in an interview that she feels that people are more immediately aware that you do need these things to support your imagination and to sort of release you from the grind of the reality. We can't all live uh, completely in the grind, you know, for 24 hours a day. So the sector across Ireland has been has been really um, cohesive. I'm talking to fellow festival directors literally every week. We're all sharing what we're learning about things. And as the year has progressed, you know, making work for online is not pressing buttons um, and easily done. It's very complex. And one of the things I suppose that I'm concerned about in the long term is that we maintain standards in terms of what the audience can experience. And then this year for us, the idea of these very small audiences being able to see the full sensory experience. Fundamentally, you know, being on a film set or being in a recording studio, that is one artistic gesture. But actually, what we haven't really been talking about enough for me is when an audience attends a concert, they bring an extraordinary energy into the room. It's actually a two-way exchange of energy and unsaid information. The curtain going up creates a frisson of expectation and energy, and that shared response is really important for the performing artist. So musicians need an audience. You know, performing artists need an audience. And for now, it has been, you know, relayed through other technologies. But ultimately, we do have to get back to 
safely um, these very small gestures where the full 3D sort of sensory experience can be can be cherished again. Um, yeah. and, and, and how we get to that needs to take its own time. Yeah, and tell us, Olga, I mean, we you talked there about the value of of art on a on a, a kind of, I suppose, intellectual level, but put in a, in a business level, I mean, this time of the year, the Arts Festival over 10 days would normally bring in how many people to Kilkenny City and County and what kind of money? In, in the last couple of years, and it's usually between forty-five and fifty-five thousand, and people. the economic in, people, yeah, uh, and that is a local audience. Usually, our, our audience is, is kind of nicely balanced uh, between. It's usually forty percent local people who live in the city and the environs. It's usually forty percent from outside the county, so m- most commonly Tipperary, um, and particularly Dublin, with a huge Dublin audience, and th- th- those are generally overnight audiences, and then we have. To, not this year, but we usually would have 20% international visitors mm. that come specifically for the festival. And the economic impact of the city is usually around 8 million. And tell me about uh, the kind of roles and the employment that it creates. I, I have had some insight over the years because yeah, I've worked yeah, closely, yeah. but what kind of roles? It's not just an artist turning up in St. Canis's and doing a, doing a, a thing no. and you have one person on the door. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair play to you. It's, it's exactly not that. So there's only three of us in the core office, uh, but the team expands to about 35 uh, a lot of the, the expertise that we would have in the festival work on Galway International Arts Festival, Dublin Theatre Festival, they work on Electric Picnic. There, there's a huge skill set uh, that is required under the tip of the iceberg. You know, you see the musician on the stage, that is the tip of the iceberg of the ecology and the business of a festival. And that is everything from, you know, the health and safety advisors, obviously much more acutely important this year, uh, but important every year through to all our crew who who prepare sites, make them safe, um, who build stages, who do lighting, who do sound installations, all of that, um, who, you know, hang public art uh, and visual art. It's, it's, there's a whole layer of technical crew with different skill sets that really the, the whole thing is utterly dependent on. And then within that, um, I was the producer of this festival, um, and I, I think a lot of people would wonder, what does a producer do? And in between the space where a director, it's not like just sort of picking, I want this artist to do that thing, and then they just arrive, as you say, and you do it, and we put somebody on the door and take the tickets. From from the point that you start engaging with the artists and what they might do, like, Kilkenny Arts Festival is not a retail festival. You know, we don't go to a catalogue and fill in the boxes from this is this length of time and this is this kind of music or this kind of theatre. You know, we're a co-producing festival, so we're working with artists, like, up to two years in advance about building something that isn't necessarily happening anywhere else. That's the really important thing about Kilkenny Arts Festival is the projects we build with artists take a lot of time to percolate and the logistics of making that work, like the Marble City Sessions, for example. You know, people arriving to Kilkenny typically at the end of the first weekend and spend a week working together, doing their own projects and meeting other artists and we're setting up rehearsal spaces and time for them to sort of see if there's common ground all of that takes a huge amount of logistical and detailed work to put them in the right frame of mind for, to get the right repertoire stuff together. Like, it's a long, long process. So when you might see something in St. Callis' on the closing night, it's not musicians just piling onto the stage and saying, oh, we'll play these tunes together. You know, that will have been a conversation piece that's taken place over sometimes up to two years. Mm. So it's a very long-form thing um, and what the public see you know i'm a big believer in that the public shouldn't necessarily see 
under the bonnet. Like, who wants to drive a Ferrari and know how the... Well, maybe a car geek would, but uh, lots of people want, you know, and should be able to just enjoy that experience and exactly that thing I spoke about earlier, have that exchange of energy with the artist and all the other stuff shouldn't really be bothering anybody but us. Yeah, but people need to know that there are jobs and and these people are becalmed at the moment. Just on that kind of issue, the... Yeah, the the chief executive of Spotify, like like live music performance has changed hugely with the balance kind of uh, people not making money out of records or DVDs and so on. It's all kind of going online uh, and Mm. so on. The guy from Spotify came out recently and just basically said, well, artists are just going to have to suck up the changes and maybe do change how they produce their work and, you know, churn out albums every six months uh, kind of thing. How do you react to that? It's kind of tied into, there was a discussion there, Minister Humphreys denied saying it, but there was a lot of talk about, well, you know, people in the arts sector will just have to retrain maybe and go off and work in something else. Hmm. I think, uh, uh, particularly the Spotify comment uh, made me want to be blunt to vomit. Um, uh, This idea that artists should just pile out, mass-produce, you know, a, a, a really serious artist in any discipline, you know, doesn't necessarily... Some artists take a long time to make a beautiful record. Other people are more prolific but might not have the resources to produce it well. Um, I think that idea that it's sort of mass production and it's all just noise. The truth is for Spotify and the age of Spotify and streaming, you know, the artists that are making the big money are generally not making it from them. They're making it from endorsement deals. You know, if you look like Kanye West and the clothing line and this kind of stuff, it's got nothing to do with music. Now, that's nothing to do with his music. Um, It's to do with the market and how, how it has become so polluted um, with this kind of nonsense that consume, consume, consume. You know, the average citizen of the Western world is just being bombarded with a lot of noise um, and what what punches through generally isn't the quality of the music, it's the, the machine of um, the sponsorship. Mm. Um, like somebody like, I mean, it's not about Kanye West. The Heather Humphreys thing, um, I didn't actually hear it Um, But that would worry me equally, but in a different way. This idea that, okay, the arts is over. uh, An artist, whatever they are, a trained actor, a director, uh, a performer, a a comedian, that they should just sort of not do that anymore. In reality, you know, markets do decide a lot of what we we do in life. For Kilkenny Arts Festival, we are more reliant on the market than we are the public subsidy in a typical year. We, We... sell more tickets than we get in public investment. Um, and, and you know, we are relying on people wanting that experience. And I suppose one of the things that concerned me for all of the generosity of what people were putting out online, and, and I think artists in Ireland really needed to make a footprint and reach out to their audiences, and it was really generous and it was really positive. But there is that other part of, of sort of training the audience's ears and perception to think, oh, well, this is just fine on the TV with poor sound quality or on my phone. Mm. And actually, it's like, you know, if you're seeing something in black and white your whole life and then somebody turns on yeah. the colour switch, you know, we have to remind people of what the colour switch is. And having the colour switch on in the room with be- all the better kind of experiences that is really valuable, and it seems to me in the future maybe that needs to become more valuable. 
Uh, exactly. Oh, Olga, we've got to leave it there, but a fascinating right. conversation. And thank, thank you. Yeah. And best of luck to everybody involved with Kilkenny Arts Festival, Kilkenny Arts Festival X, and indeed everyone in the uh, performing sector and uh, so on. Thank you very much. That was Olga Barry, who is uh, director of Kilkenny Arts Festival. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie The heart of two counties. KCLR. Okay, I'm standing on the banks of the River Nore in Canal Square in the centre of Kilkenny City and I'm joined by Cliff Reid and I'm going to talk to him about his business, BoatTrips.ie, which was established in 2018. Cliff, tell us a bit more about the business. Yes, John. So we, we started in Carlow Town in 2018 and uh, we had a fairly successful year there. People, the boats proved fairly popular. So we grew the business a bit and we, we're now in Kilkenny City. We came in here last year and and again, it worked well for us here, and we've now expanded into Leash as well. So, um, only this year, being the year that's in it with the COVID, we've been one or two minor setbacks, you might say. Um, but all in all, the business seems to be going fairly well. Understatement of the pandemic uh, so far, probably there, Cliff. But just before we get into talking about it, just tell us what kind of experience you offer people. You obviously, the name says it all, boattrips.ie, but up and down uh, the river in Kilkenny City and also in Carlow Town, just tell us what you offer people. So we bring them out just for a relaxing spin on the river. Uh, we treat people to, you know, introduce them to a little bit of the wildlife, a bit of the history and the heritage that goes with the rivers. And both rivers, whether it's the Barrow or the Nore, have, um, you know, a different historical background to them that were used in different ways. Over on the Barrow, the bargemen would have come up in the barges and stuff and brought all the goods in. Here in Kilkenny, the river would have been used with, with good goods on boats over the years as well. But it would have been much earlier as well, bringing up all the corn, all the all the goods that were being sold here or grown here in the southeast went out through the Nore, down and out through the Waterford Estuary there. So we give them a little bit about the history and then we introduce them to the wildlife. Boat rivers are full of fantastic uh, animals and birds, kingfishers, otters, many of the stuff that people don't normally see. So it gives them a chance to come out and take a glimpse of the kingfishers and pe- people go home smiling when they get a photograph of a kingfisher. Um, and it gives them an opportunity to relax. We have a short trip here in Kilkenny of about half an hour long whereas over on the Barrow it's about an hour long trip and uh, it's just a snippet of what's, what the waterways are like. You started in 2018, presumably a big tourism offering for people coming from abroad. Uh, tell us how the business was going before uh, the upset of Covid. Yeah, well, we used to, we, obviously, anyone that stepped onto the boat, we would track where they're from. We'd ask them, you know, what county they're from, if they're Irish, or what country they were, if they were uh, external to Ireland. And what we noticed since um, COVID is uh, 60% of our tourists were international tourists. And since the COVID came in, that just fell off. It's just gone. Um, we haven't had a single foreign tourist on the boat this year yet. So we're very much focused on the domestic market now, the staycations and the locals. Um, and I think the locals are supporting, uh, supporting us in particular in that they're taking the opportunity to get out with the family um, granny granddad are getting the grandkids or the nieces and nephews and they're coming out for a spin and spending time and people I think the whole COVID thing you know it allowed people to reflect a little and spend a little bit more time with their families and they're taking the boat trip as an opportunity to do that One of the changes you've obviously seen in the market is the complete absence of foreign tourists but uh, what? how would you describe the market that's there at the moment? Is it people who are coming to Carlow Kilkenny for a few days or is it day trippers or what way are you seeing it? 
So we're, get, we're getting a mix. Obviously, you have people on the staycations and they're coming down and they're staying locally, either in Carlow or Kenny in the hotels. Um, and we're very much getting them out. But we're also getting people who are on one-day trips. We're getting a lot of people coming up from Cork in particular and people coming down from Dublin. And what we're seeing is a lot of people are tired of being hammered to go to the uh, wild Atlantic Way or go to the coast or go to the seaside, that they're venturing in, inland and they're discovering stuff within the Midlands and within uh, the inner counties of Ireland, the hidden gems, for want of a better word, um, and that includes the boat trips and the River Nore and the River Barrow. And these are beautiful little spots. And when people get out and they take a few, uh, a couple of pictures on the river and they look at them later on that evening or they're putting them up on social media, they're amazed at how beautiful our counties are here. Um, but that's, that's the kind of market we're getting, people on day trippers in particular. Uh, you were telling me before we started recording about uh, you know doing business plans and uh, trying to plan for unforeseen uh, events and so on. You ran through a fair list, but COVID didn't figure on it. Not in the slightest. Uh, like we were looking at the external market, the macro market um, as such, and we were trying to say, you know, what would impact on the, the tourism industry? Uh, all part business plan development and whatnot and you just would not figure COVID into the situation like we, we talked about you know the airlines going down or the price of oil going up uh, for for airline industries and you know maybe limited numbers coming into the country and stuff but no one would have seen or no one would have for, forecast that uh, a flu was going to ground everything basically and um, wipe the whole lot out on us. Safety is obviously a big part because you're operating on the water to begin with and I see you're, you have your life jacket uh, with you at the moment. You've obviously had to change around to accommodate uh, COVID precautions. A boat is a, is a fairly uh, restricted um, environment. How do you cope with that? Well, in many regards, we're not too bad. There's some other operators uh, within Ireland there that have a closed-in boat. So they've been really affected by it. Uh, ours is an open-top boat, so everyone is out in the open. So in that regard, it, it's not as strict. That being said, um, the boat is constantly disinfected. The life jackets are disinfected. So when someone books in the night before, or two nights before, or three nights, the night before, um, I asked them for how many kids are bringing, how many adults are coming, and we allocate a life jacket for them. And that life jacket is disinfected and it goes straight to them. The life jacket is taken back off them then and disinfected and left for a day or two before it's reused. Um, and then obviously, you know, the same as any other businesses providing hand gel, washing down the boats, washing down the equipment, all the standard stuff that goes along with it. Cliff Reed of Ireland Boat Trips there telling us about his business which provides boat trips in Kilkenny and Carlow and what lovely weather and what lovely resources in the centre of Kilkenny and Carlow so do get out there look up boattrips.ie Now during the lockdown we were astonished at the amount of people sending us in pictures of buns and cakes and sourdough and so on uh, baking really enjoyed a resurgence and down the river from where Cliff uh, carries on his boat trips um, is a little mill which for hundreds of years has been milling locally grown wheat. It's uh, the little mill, Kells Whole Meal and I'm joined on the line by Robert Moss. Robert, how are you? Very well, John. Good morning. Yeah, tell us a bit about, before we get into the whole COVID thing, tell us a bit about your history going back hundreds of years. That's right, yeah. The Mosses have a long association with Bennett's Bridge um, and uh, something I've taken on from, from my father and, and, and uh, grandfather. Yeah, and um, I think something like seven generations, to put it into perspective. That's kind of grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather. Uh, that's right, yeah. Um, you think it would have got sense by now, but uh, we're still battling on there. 
Yeah, and um, we hear a lot about locally sourced produce, but you're kind of walking the talk. Well, it's it's something that uh, I mean, it's our business and on our and, and how we generate our income, but it's something we also are very passionate about. So, trying to buy grain from the local farming community and, and neighbouring counties is something that uh, makes a lot of uh, business sense. But it's also that we're something we're really passionate about and enjoy having relationships with local farmers and, and taking the grain literally from the field and into the mill. Yeah, now, um, flour, of course, is an ingredient, and in today's uh, world, um, people don't think much of ingredients often. They just look at the finished product. Tell us about all the different products that you produce in uh, the Little Mill, Kells Whole Mill. Yeah, well, I think uh, I, I think probably that's changing. People are becoming more and more conscious about where their food is coming from and the ingredients and, and um, food miles and, and how things are shifting around the world. And I think that probably has become um, to the forefront of, of people's concerns when COVID hit. Um, it's exactly where the, the food supply chain is coming and how it's getting into the country. Um, our products, um, we have three wholemeal flours. Um, so uh, a plain wholemeal, which is made from, from local wheat. Uh, we have a, uh, a spelt wholemeal flour as well, which uh, we're growing spelt on the Gabbett's Farm in Callan. Um, so it's a relatively new crop to be grown in the country, although it's an, considered an ancient grain, um, and it absolutely thrives in Ireland. Um, um, so and then we also have a seeded wholemeal. So it's a, a wholemeal flour with five different seeds blended through it. Um, so they, they make up the, the core of our flours. And then we also have three uh, baking mixes. So we have a brownie mix, a brown bread, and a scone mix just for uh, quick quick uh, baking of uh, f- fresh products. Yeah, now, COVID hit uh, hard in March and the lockdown came along. As I indicated, we've seen a huge surge in, in people's interest in baking and so on. It's been a big surge in interest in your products. Tell us about that and how you adapted to a growing demand, I understand. Yeah, so um, when the when the schools closed and, and people were sent home from work, um, home baking just hit hugely and our, our sales of home baking would have increased tenfold. Um, at a minimum, um, I think probably um, you could no longer go out and, and purchase these things. The only place you could buy food was in supermarkets. Um, so um, that was probably a key driver. And then on top of that, um, baking is a fantastically uh, entertaining uh, thing to do. So it's uh, it's a cheap source of food. Um, it, it occupies a lot of time. It's hugely satisfying and it's hugely comforting. So I think it just hit all the right metrics at the right time uh, to tick the boxes and get people excited about uh, baking. Yeah, and uh, under bad circumstances. Yeah, and a, a tenfold increase in demand has its own uh, challenges. Uh, we talked to uh, Ken Byrne of Red Sky, who I believe did some work with you, but you you really revolutionised how you get the product out to people. So yeah, through our through our online website, um, we had huge demand and. Um, Really, we couldn't cope with the demand. Um, so obviously, we've been very concerned about our staff and our staff welfare. So we weren't taking on any new staff during that period. Um, but the, the demand was such that we just couldn't keep up with production. Um, and so we thought uh, we, we tried to actually turn off the website a couple of times uh, in an attempt to try and lower the number of orders that we had to handle. Um, but that actually created a huge surge in customer service. Um, so emails and telephone calls were flying in into uh, the girls in reception, and uh, so that was very difficult to cope. Um, so after a few days of trying to 
to figure out how best to manage this. Um, we contacted Red Sky, um, and they, of course, have uh, the facilities and the equipment to, to handle demands of, of the nature that we were, were, we were coping with. Um, so we shifted all our stock um, required for the, for the web shop out to Red Sky. And uh, they obviously have a professional setup there out there, so they were able to, to hit the demands um, that we were, were coping with very, very successfully and, and rapidly and, and make it a very smooth um, operation. Um, and then that, that allowed us to, to focus on what we're good at, which is production. Yeah, so so the um, the business has been going on for seven generations, world wars, every sort of a thing, but I, I'm sure COVID is pretty unprecedented. What have you learned from the amount of change that you've had to embrace since just last March? Um, well, I mean, um, I think probably the biggest thing is, is the importance of having um, brilliant staff around you. Um, everybody embraced um, what uh, what was happening. Um, I think everyone was frightened at the time, myself included, as to what was come, especially when, when everyone else was going home from work and we were saying, well, we're, uh, we consider ourselves as an essential business. Um, so uh, resilience, really. Um, everybody rode in and we, we adapted where our normal production would be um, we we had to change a lot of, of production processes to cope with demand and uh, just the positive attitude and the can-do attitude coming from our staff was, was, was really the, the main factor um, there was no shrugging of shoulders or no I'm not doing that uh, everyone got stuck in and uh, we made it work well done. Okay, Robert, pleasure talking to you. That's uh, Robert Moss from The Little Mill, and you can check them out on thelittlemill.ie. Great family business and a great success story. Coming up, we'll be talking to a lady who started a business to cater for the very complex needs of people with cancer. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie KCLR. Proud to be local. You're very welcome back to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, I'm in a clinic on Dean Street in Kilkenny with a lady called Denise O'Connor. And Denise is an aromatherapist, massage therapist and reflexology practitioner who over recent years has developed a new business called My Skin Integrity. Denise, tell us about My Skin Integrity and your journey to starting this new business. Okay. Hi, John. Good morning. And good morning to all your listeners. Um, I've been working as a massage therapist since 2001 and in 2003 a young friend of mine developed cancer and at the time uh, we were not allowed to work with cancer patients legally but uh, his uh, oncologist up in Beaumont was really open to complementary health so he allowed me to go up every day um, every Thursday to work with him so unfortunately 13 weeks later he actually died um, but it had a huge profound uh, impact on my work and since that time, I have been working, most of, most of my clients are actually cancer patients. So one of the first things that I would see in my work is the effect that cancer actually has on a patient's skin. So I'm not a doctor, um, so they have to go through their own conventional medical treatment, which would be a mix often chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and more recent times, immunotherapy. 
but again this all has an impact on a patient's skin things like you know we've all had maybe uh, too much sun exposure but radiotherapy is like the worst sunburn you have ever seen um, sometimes people get like a, an acne type reaction these carbuncles is the only word for it on their skin um, heightened redness uh, over time the skin can look very grey so uh, the doctors get on with the conventional and the patient is left to try and work out what they can do with their skin. So over time, uh, I have started to work with patients and try and make up products that will soothe and support their skin. So everything has to be safety tested. We are legislated by Europe. Um, there was a new directive came in in 2013. So we have to be very careful about what we say uh, goes into our products and what it can actually do. So, uh, so the best thing to say is to, is to soothe and comfort the skin. But I can make up products specifically for patients going through different stages. Like you said, the core of how you started out was with the reflexology massage therapy and aromatherapy. That's developed more into a business now. Can you tell me uh, about your journey about that? You formed a new company, My Skin Integrity. Where's that at? So uh, back in 2018, one one of my clients who had been going through radiotherapy, who had asked me to make up some products for him, um, he needed 44 sessions of radiotherapy, which is very tough on the skin. And at about session 22 his skin was on the verge of breaking so he asked me could I make up something for him and it actually got him through to the end of his 44 sessions so he was the one who kind of said to me you know there's probably a business in this have you ever considered getting it out there because like in Ireland 17,000 people this year will have radiotherapy and over 7 million globally so and unfortunately cancer is not going away so he really got me thinking so I went back to the local Leo office and Catherine Hennessy there suggested uh, applying for New Frontiers. So that programme started in uh, December in Waterford and uh, it was a six-month intensive. You're totally immersed in your business. Uh, you're working at your business and you're thinking about it and trying to get your product to market. So that's supported by Enterprise Ireland. And of course the pandemic has intervened but the show must go on and the course went on indeed. Where are you at now with the developments of your products and your business? Okay, so the course just finished there in the, at the end of July and uh, so I have... I'm at the stage now of product validation. So I'll be working with Shannon ABC down in Limerick and uh, Tralee IT and they, they will independently validate. I mean, I can say all I like about how good my products are, but I need to have that independent validation to be able to show the oncologists and the medical community that this is something that could support their patients into the future. Now, you've talked about the products and you've shown me a lovely array of stuff. It all looks really attractively produced, packaged and so on. And the smells and aromas are absolutely beautiful. But this must involve a manufacturing process. How do you manage that and how do you manage the growth? Yeah, so at the moment I have a workshop beside my house. I used to be in the kitchen, but it got to the stage my husband thought it was salad cream. I had to get out. So um, I will be able to maintain that for probably another year. Um, and then I will have to look at ramping up production. And that's either getting a bigger premises or actually outsourcing it. I prefer to keep control of the process and maybe, you know, hopefully be able to um, employ some more people into the future. At the moment, I imagine you're using a lot of it with your own clients but how do you build the sales channel and then grow the market beyond your own personal clients, I suppose? Okay, so um, an awful lot of that is through my own clinic, as you say. Uh, but Facebook and Instagram has been a great way of getting, getting the product offering out there. 
patients are great. Uh, word of mouth is still my best m- method. Um, you know, they're sitting in waiting rooms and they're chatting about, you know, how are you affected by treatment? And, oh, I have such a problem. Oh, you know, it might be no harm if, if you try. Um, I, you know, these are products I've worked and they're great just to pass on my details. So, so that has, you know, still in this modern world, word of mouth has still been my num- number one. You're continuing with massage, aromatherapy and reflexology. How are you finding balancing keeping that practice going uh, with developing your new manufacturing business? I have had to pull back on that. Um, so I'm probably back to three days a week. And again, with COVID, we're very restricted because we have to allow extra time between uh, treatments, to, you know, to sanitise the room um, and to get ready for the next person coming in. So yeah, time is the huge thing. I really have to manage my time really well. We've talked about people suffering from cancer or going through treatment and their families indeed they may be listening if they want to get in touch with you or like the sound of your products what should they do? Uh, if, if they wanted to just to take a look at the website which is uh, myskin.ie and all my contact details are on there and I would always encourage people you know if they want to send me an email or they can give me a ring um, And because at the moment I can customise products specifically for people that are looking for that bit of extra support during treatment. Denise O'Connell there telling us about her new business, My Skin Integrity uh, Limited. And best of luck to Denise and do check out her products. Um, A a huge market there and a very difficult market uh, indeed for people facing difficulties. But Denise there to help and good to meet her. Now, during the week, uh, John Walsh got a huge reaction uh, when people started talking about oranges on his programme. So we thought it would be a good idea to talk to uh, a bit of an expert locally on oranges. He's Paul Walsh. He's Managing Director of Sunshine Juices. Paul, you have a passion for juices and a passion for oranges and indeed you're Ireland's uh, biggest producer of freshly squeezed orange juice. Hi John, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we've been making freshly squeezed juice in Carlow for nearly 25 years now. Since 1998 uh, and many awards to your name. Yeah, exactly. Um, listen, we have a great team, John, and the the team at home really take great pride in what to do. And we've we've uh, we make a lot of freshly squeezed juices, and cold pressed juices are very very topical right now. So cold pressed veg juices are really taking off at the moment. You know. Yeah, we were talking to Robert earlier on about people being really concerned about the ingredients that goes into their food and it's the same when it comes to juices but that's an opportunity as well. You do vegetable juices and so on and big in the, um, the health conscious consumer you've got something for, for them. Yeah, we've, um, we've, we've launched in the last few years a, a range of cold pressed juices and uh, vegetable juices and also cold press uh, booster shots um, which are like fresh cold pressed ginger uh, fresh cold pressed turmeric and mixed with various vegetables and some fruits so it's they're, they're they're really healthy for you and they you know give you a real boost for your vitamins minerals amino acids enzymes levels um, and keep you healthy through this this uh, tasking time you know yeah now one thing I do know is that um Ireland, for our weather, we don't produce oranges, so you have to import oranges, um, presumably you do, and that's been yeah. impacted by COVID. Tell us about that. It surely has, yeah. I mean, um, typically we would we would move from season to season, so we'd have about four different seasons to the year 
Um, but with you know COVID uh, in, 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 in all over the world, a lot of Spanish fruit just didn't sail this year. Um, a lot of South African fruit didn't sail. So it's it's quite challenging to get our hands on enough of juicing fruit. Um, a lot of the juicing fruit uh, uh, went directly to China uh, when, when I suppose at the peak of of, uh, of of different seasons. So we've we've managed to secure and, and work on 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 various different supply lines so of, of different countries. So we've, we've a bit of South African stuff coming to us at the moment, but um, and but it's 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 an awful. It's not what more challenging it was other years, you know. Yeah, and um, and presumably that has impacted on on the price that you that you have to pay to get your hands on high quality oranges and other fruit to produce your kind of really natural product. Exactly, John. I mean, we're 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 looking at gazumping rates of nearly eighty to hundred percent more for fruit than we we've paid in previous years. Um, so huge challenge for us, um, and you know it's it's. Um, it's something we're 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 just continuously trying to monitor and see and uh, see what's, what's we're, we are talking to our our customers and our retailers and explaining the the, the pressure we're under. Yeah, so a huge uh, team. Yeah, a huge team of supporting local running through all our our programming um, and so on. Um, what would you say about that? Brilliant idea because I mean we we, we have um, like for for every purchase you know uh, a, a customer does with a, a small producer or a big producer you know at least it, we, we get a chance to get our own brand into uh, the customer's um, shopping basket and into their fridging it's 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 a huge help for for small um, and medium-sized businesses that that people would shop local um, and uh, it's we've you know we launched uh, our own online um uh, stores there during the last three or four months. So we've 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 two different uh, online stores that people can order the cold pressed juices, and we can deliver nationwide via. Uh, we did a partnership with uh, DPD, and they can get to twenty six counties with our cold pressed juices next day delivery. You know. Okay. Well, so, Paul, we've got to leave it there, but do check out Sunshine Juices uh, uh, online and support a local juice company. That's uh, Paul Walsh the founder of Sunshine Juices who were in Tin Ryland in Carlow. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie KCLR Proud to be local. Proud to be local indeed, and it's a it's a theme running through our uh, program this morning. Proud to be local, and we ran a shop local, uh, stay safe. Uh, campaign with the local enterprise offices. Indeed, we're still running it. It's finishing on Tuesday in Boris, but it's been really great. And I'm joined on the line by Deirdre Dunn, who's enterprise executive with Kilkenny Local Enterprise Office. Deirdre, tell us a bit about the idea behind the campaign. Yeah, morning, John. How are you? Good. Um, good, good. And um, so, yeah, the campaign we ran it a bit last year as well, and it's basically just to highlight the local businesses within the county and kind of get, I suppose highlight what's there to get people shopping locally and getting people thinking locally first rather than going online or going outside the county, um, both in Kilkenny and Carlow. So we ran the campaign over, I think, five weeks and we started on the 7th 
of July and finished there on Tuesday the 4th. Yeah, and, and we ran it last year with you guys. Um, just for people who aren't aware of it, we go out and we visit different towns and, and villages mm. and, and the main urban centres across Carlock Kenny, and we basically talked to the businesses. Um, we did it in November last year. Now, while the weather was very challenging, um, we didn't have yeah. COVID. It, it's a new world since, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And I I actually was discussing with this with Emer and Ken when we were out and about, but... It was totally different as in the, the culture change, I found, like when, you know, the, the whole shopping journey for customers has completely changed. Before you used to just get out of your car, run into a place, get pick up what you want. Now you have to think a little bit more about it. But in saying that, every single shop we went around to, every store, everyone's prepared so well. And for small businesses, it's a huge cost on them to even get that so prepared, like, and have all their queue barriers up, mm. have all their sanitizing stations up and ready. But they've all done it, and they've all embraced COVID really, really well. And I think now, more than ever, like obviously before, it's always important to shop local, but now really it is, because the cost incurred by all these um, shops and and stores is huge on them. And we need to give back and actually go to them and physically walk in the door and shop with them. Yeah, now the local enterprise offices probably have never been busier. Um, How are businesses feeling out there? Do you, you know, you're in touch with all sorts of businesses. How's the morale? Yeah, I think at the very start, I think obviously at the very start back in, in March, it was it was so uncertain and so unknown, there was a wider panic. Um, I think now we say we've, we do trading online vouchers and we had, we're actually there's new allocation of those, so it's, you know, that's to get your business online or if you have an existing website, it's upgraded so you can actually sell online. And we've seen a huge uptake in those trading online vouchers. And um, because people, I suppose, are shifting a small bit towards online um, because it's of the uncertainty, but that was a huge shift for a lot of businesses that had never experienced online sales before. Um, so, again, like, it just dives into it. Um, a lot of businesses that you wouldn't even think that would be online, a lot of sectors you wouldn't think would be online, have, have embraced it. Yeah, and amazingly, um, new businesses opening, and we, and we came across some of them on the, on the tour as well. Just give us a quick few highlights. Yeah, so um, two of the ones that stand out actually from the last, the very last day as well was News Coffee um, that's open. That's really exciting. It's in the Butler Gallery. Sharon Quinn is running that. And that's, so just get down and support them and have a look around the gallery yourself. And Louis Cafe as well that's on Patrick Street. Um, that's fabulous looking and a huge addition to Patrick Street um, right in the town as well. Um, there's a few other places we went around as well, a few of the other towns, like Thomastown, Castle uh, Comer and Pilltown. And, you know, popping to, like, Katrina Woods menswear in Thomastown is, is fabulous. Like, you go into her, and it's like walking into your, your house, like, at home. She's so welcome, welcoming in, and she's so much stock in the place. There's no need to shop outside, it, like, for anything you need for clothes. And she's actually a barber as well. Mm, that's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's gas. Like, and she's really, you know, it's just, like, it's some difference going in local than going, we'll say, up to Dublin or down to Cork or something like that. You don't get that same service by far, like. Yeah, um, uh, just quickly, uh, Deirdre, uh, any other highlights that struck you? We, we we still have a bit to go. We're in Boris on Tuesday and we'll cover Carlo next week. But, um, you know, uh, a lot of um, life left in the in the business community yet. Absolutely huge. Like, and I, I've, I know COVID obviously was a huge effect on businesses, but it's, it's brought out a huge sense of community as well. I'll just take Castle Comer, for example, when we were over there, 
the the line tree cafe and restaurant that was absolutely hopping when we were there. There's loads of people supporting local, going out and having their lunch, eating out. I think, um, obviously, with the pubs closed, there's a huge blow to, to that industry. But people are eating out a lot more. They're watching what they're eating. They're they're eating a lot healthier as well. And Joe Roberts um, from the Little Mill kind of echoed that as well. And it, it's it's huge to see that when you're out and about. Like, even in Castlecomer Discovery Park, they're going for walks there and they're going for something to eat. They're taking picnics. Like, the place is... Uh, the outdoor scene in Ireland, I think, is really exploded. And it, that's seen in all the towns we went to. Even the outdoor ventures um, on the lakes and, and the rivers and stuff around as well. It, it's lovely to see. Deirdre, we have to leave it there, unfortunately. Uh, running out of time, as usual, but lots of great stories and a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks uh, for being great. such a joy thanks to work much, with. John. Okay, that's Deirdre Dunn from the local enterprise office in Kilkenny, bringing the show to a close for this week. Thanks to all our guests, Al Gabari, Cliff Reed, Robert Moss, Denise O'Connell, Paul Walsh, and Deirdre Dunn that you heard there. We'll be back next Saturday morning just after uh, the nine o'clock news. If you want to listen to the programme uh, again, you can do so on our uh, website and on our podcasts. But until we talk again next Saturday morning, I'd like to thank producer Deirdre Drummy. If you'd like to contact the programme, you can email us at the bottom line at kclr96fm.com. Coming up after the news at 10 is Edward Hayden. And then do stay tuned. Lots of great sports coverage coming out through the day. Don't forget you can log on to kclaura96fm.com where you'll get lots of news and information. Until next Saturday for me, John Purcell. Talk to you then. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small.